John 14, 15, beginning with John 14, 15. Will not, uh, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you love it, uh, and you in me, and I love you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I am. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This whole service, I feel like it's uh, circling around John Prince. Uh, he's the one who told me about praying for the kids that I forgot. He's the one who said that I could have a new speaker stand. And uh, because of last Sunday, he talked about a new suit that we're supposed to be putting on things. Well, so when I got up this morning, I said, um, I'm going to wear my new suit, a suit that I, I bought for a wedding not too long ago. Why is that all important as far as even a suit is concerned? Because it changes something. It changes the way you act. I asked uh, Max, uh, who is the son of, is it the music guy? What's his name? Doug? Justin? Uh, I asked him, as I was going for a donut, I said, um, what kind of donut should I have? Should I have a messy one or a neat one? And Max said to me, a messy one. They're the best tasting ones. 
And so I said, okay, then I can wear this berry all over my suit. And so it changes because as I'm eating this, I'm making sure, and I'm still not powered in, I guess, or I'm overpowered, uh, and uh, 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 I made sure that I have my napkin in front of me, that the donut was out in front of me so I wouldn't mess it up. It changes things. The way you dress at times changes things. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you receive, not just say a prayer of repentance, it is saying when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, You receive not only the gift of eternal life, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I heard a testimony from the pastor that eventually uh, did my wife and my marriage. I think he's the only pastor that would do it because I didn't have a great reputation. And as far as I remember, uh, uh, and he confirmed it when he was out here last year to go on an Alaskan cruise, and I picked him up uh, to take him uh, from the airport to the cruise line. I says, uh, is it true that I was your first, my wife and I were your first premarital counseling? And he says, uh, maybe, I don't remember it so long ago, because it's 50 years ago. And because uh, uh, he had done several weddings before our wedding. And he said, oh, yeah. I kind of remember that. I was kind of worried about you. But I remember when he gave a testimony, a testimony that says, and my response was, yeah, right. And that testimony was how God was working in his life. And how the Holy Spirit had prompted him to take certain steps, certain actions. I said, that's never happened to me. I'm I'm a 16-year-old know-it-all. I said, yeah, right. And this is a whole bunch of hogwash. I didn't say hogwash. And, and I didn't realize at that point in time, I did not know Christ. I had told him one time I was going through a problem, and so Ben says to me, uh, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? And I said, yes, lie, but yes. And he says, well, tell me what it means to, to know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Well, I have been at the church long enough to know the spiel about receiving Christ for sin, because of my sin, to receive him as my Savior. I could say that. And I was only hanging around the church because I liked the kids, because they're the only kids that wouldn't get up and fight with me. I'd maybe fight with them, but they wouldn't fight with me. And 
And so finally one in June of 1961, Larry Lowe, my Sunday school, our Sunday school superintendent, pulled me aside one Sunday evening. And this is a whole youth church, mind you. All youth. 60 youth, except for the pastoral team. He says to me, Bob, isn't it time to come to know Christ? I said, the jig is up kind of a thing, you know? And um, he said, I've been watching you. You need to know Christ. Even if I, though I said it, I did, I needed it. So I accepted Christ in June of 61. That changed my life. That changed my life. In receiving Christ, has it changed your life? Or is it more of the same? In John 14, 18, it says this. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. God's love has staying power. God's love is continuous. God's love is what we call a loyal love. It's unconditional. And despite what you see on whatever advertisement it is that talks about the four kinds of love in Greek, and then it comes to agape, which most Christians know and some don't, but if you don't, we call that the highest form of love because it's unconditional. They call it, it's love in action. Well, does the love in action because of a reason. And that reason is because it's unconditional and because it's God's love to you and to me. As Paul would say, to the least of the saints. And if I am honest, and if all of us are honest to a certain extent, we would say we are the least of the saints. But God's love is loyal. God's love is, is layered. It's not just superficial. It's not just one note. You know, I watch the cooking channel all the time. And... And so I'm watching Chopped and Girl Scout cookies, baking championships, and stuff like that all on, on HGTV and, uh, and on the Food Network. And, and I'm watching, and I'm listening all the time. And these guys are saying, oh, this is good. It's got more than one note in it. It's got a crunch and a salt and a sweet and a whatever it is. It's got it's multi-layered. God's love is that way. So when John 3.16 comes out and it says, For God so loved, the love is more than just the giving of his son. It's so love. So love that not only is our, the son given to us, but then the son says, We're going to send the helper. And then the helper says, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. And then the, when you give the spiritual gift, it says, and, it, and you are to give it away. As God gives, 
we give, or we should give. I tend to be selfish, so when I get something, I want it for myself. It's mine. And it's for me. So, the question is, why should you obey Jesus? I want to ask you this question. What drives you? What causes you to do what you do? If you love me, verse 15 says, keep my commandments. If you love me. What would love do? It'll make you do things that other people say, are you stupid or are you stupid? Or that person said, oh, Again, I will thank each and every one of you who helped in us moving to our little 55 and over community and our manufactured home that helped us remodel everything, saved us thousands of dollars. So what happens when that thousands of dollars, um, we put it away, and then the doc said to my wife, because there was a time... Last year, we're in my wife. As some of you know, sometimes she walks with a walking stick. She couldn't walk with the walking stick because she couldn't even hold the walking stick. She couldn't go into the shower and stand in the shower. We had no grab bars. About six months prior, I had thought about a walk-in tub for her. So we caught Kohler because they had a big old ad on there. And then they told me what the price was. And I says, thank you, but no thank you. It's more than the price of my new car. So she went to the dock. And I wonder, uh, and she came back and says to me, uh, the doctor suggesting a walk-in tub. I said, thank you, doc. But lo and behold, what happens the next Sunday in the Sunday paper, there's an ad for walk-in tub. Well, I bought the tub. I wouldn't do it for anybody else, but I did it for her. That's what love does. She's worth it. You know, you don't have to go L'Oreal, ladies. You are already worth it. But she's worth it. That's what love does. And you have sacrificed something for someone else because of that. That's what God does. Even when he gives the Holy Spirit, he's giving his best. Not only is the Son his best, but the Holy Spirit is his best. But how do you know that it is even working in you? The Holy Spirit, he is all that you can, it's so that you can live life the way you really want it. Well, we were talking earlier today, I was talking to someone, how do we stay on focus? Because the world says all this, 
And this is what I want. So this gal in, the, in, in one of the, uh, uh, I think it was the Super Bowl, uh, she comes over as she wants to be real. She wants to be who she is. So she drives a Cadillac. Not just any Cadillac, the Escalade Cadillac. Is that really what we want? Some of us think that that's the only way to have life. But we obey Jesus because he loves us. If we love Jesus, we respond in like manner. It's not, love is not convenient. Love is out of conviction. Love is out of compassion. Love is with passion. So do I love Jesus? I have a whole series, and uh, when I go to various countries to speak, to train pastors, and the first lesson is always from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, if any man, if anyone, really wants to come after me, desires, then these are the things that happen, that follow. Do I really desire? And I have to admit, there are times I don't desire. But what God gives to you it's something that allows you to have the life you want, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I will pray the Father, says verse 16, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. It's not temporary. It's permanent. The question is, what do I do with it? And all of you know this illustration if you've been in church very long, how does an electric appliance operate? Anybody? You got to plug it in. If you do not plug it in, it's just a decoration piece. And we all know the need of power. Uh, so I was talking about the wind last night, and uh, 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 we, as we were talking about the flickering lights and the power outages that may go out, I live in a community that they don't believe old folks can handle gas, so everything's electric. And the power goes out, we're supposed to go up to the clubhouse and turn on the generator and, <laughs> and get the heat that way for all 168 units. So everybody's supposed to go up there. I'll go to John Prince's in federal way. Uh, but at any rate, when we think about this, remember when I said, when Ben shared his testimony, I said, yeah, right. There are times that I don't feel his presence. There are times when I feel very distant. And if you've ever watched the two popes, don't agree with them theologically, don't agree with it, 
but this one statement came loud and clear. The Pope that is going out, whatever the, yeah, whatever his name was, uh, he said, I don't feel his presence. I need to develop a spiritual ear. That's plugging in. That's plugging in. The Holy Spirit is the power source for the living, the life that God has designed for you and will, you will feel fulfilled when it happens. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. As food is for the body, the Holy Spirit gives strength to the soul. Sometimes we pull the plug and wonder why there's no power. Churches are like that. Sometimes we as a church says, why are we sensing the power of God? Because we pulled the plug. Because my commitment to Jesus is only as I want it to be. I have to admit, when I was younger, and so I don't blame the younger folks when this happens, I'm a little bit disappointed because I would hope that they would be better than me at that that point in time. But when the football game is happening and it's happening at the church time, I am not at church. Why? Because my Raiders are in the East Coast and it plays at 10 in the morning and guess what time the church starts? My wife and I had a big fight over this. I want to go to church, honey. Go. But I don't want to go without you. I said, you still can go. I don't want to have to answer all this question of, where's my husband? Just tell him I'm not doing too well. Pull the plug. And yet, even when we pull the plug, He's still there, just waiting for you to reconnect. It's the gift of his abiding presence. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and if he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So says John 14, 23. He abides, he remains, he dwells. In John 15, in the next section, it talks about abiding in him, to make, to be at home with him. You know, my wife and I, in the evening, is we watch the game shows, or we're just reading, or we're just listening to music. We're not speaking to each other. Every now and then we say, did, did you understand what that was? Or she would point to me and, and say, you got to listen to this. Because I don't want to listen to it, but okay, I'll listen to it. We don't talk to each other much. But her presence is enough. It gives me a stability. It gives me a comfort level. 
that gives me He will always be there. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Tony Campolo. Anybody? Okay, there are some. Tony Campolo is uh, from Philadelphia. And, and when he preaches, there's nobody in the front row. There's nobody in the second row. And yet he is this dynamic speaker. Why doesn't anybody sit in the first two rows? Because when he speaks, he spits. But I was at a conference of his, a youth conference, because I was a youth pastor, and he used this illustration. He and his wife were driving down the road, and it's at night, and they see this car ahead of them, and it looked like this car had a two-headed driver. And his wife said, understanding it was a girl and a, man, a guy and a gal, close, really close to each other. Guess they didn't have the on the floor stick, you know, the bench seat or whatever, and bed right. And his wife says to him, Tony, we used to be just like that. And Tony says, I didn't move. He's there. In fact, one of the reasons why uh, I, I, it comes to my mind, a lot of personal illustrations, we moved, and some of you know we have this, this old lazy boy rock recliner kind of love seat, and it's connected. So we sit side by side, but we're really, so we moved it. We moved it to where now we have this, this uh, queen, Sleeper, sofa. We switched places. Why? So when my wife is watching television with me or sitting beside me uh, as I'm watching a ball game and she's still sitting beside me, we're right next to each other. My arm's around her. She leans into me. That's what it's like when you have the Spirit, that He will live with you. Scripture states that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a really good temple. Uh, actually, uh, I understand about the donuts, and I like the donuts, but, you know, my dog and I share a donut in the morning when I get up and I have my coffee, that's my breakfast. For dessert, I have a donut and coffee in the evening, and he has a donut with me. So we have at least two donuts a day. But we are the temple of the living God. And Scripture says that the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. Not only he is the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's the gift of a teacher. 1426, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you, bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. What does the Holy Spirit do? 
There's a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit, and a lot of it is wrong. The main job of the Holy Spirit is to teach, to convict, and to lead you into all truth. When we say truth, it's not your truth, it is truth. I get tired of hearing on the news or any place and other statements by people say, you need to speak your truth. What if your truth is not true? You may believe it is true, but it's not true. It's still a lie. The only thing that you can speak about yourself is what you've experienced. So that may be the truth, but it's not necessarily just because I experienced is it truth. So like Mark Twain said, the best watermelon he ever ate was the one he stole. Tells you that, well, then the best watermelon you're ever going to eat is the one that you will steal. He will teach you. What will he teach you? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Holy Spirit points back to Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit does not point back to Jesus Christ, it's not of the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason why in 1 John, it tells you, test the spirits to see if they are of God. Just because I say the Spirit, you know, there's a song out there, old time song, shows how old I am. Every time I feel the Spirit, I will move. Every time I feel the Spirit, I will pray. Well, guess right. The Spirit is already there. Sound like I'm angry. I, I guess I am. He does not glorify himself. He always points to Jesus. He teaches through the Word. That's the reason why we have in 2 Peter in chapter 1. As men are carried by the Holy Spirit, he writes. This is the product of the Holy Spirit. Is not the product of men. So some would say even, you know, he's supposed to be our teachers. We're not in need of any human teacher. In fact, there's a scripture. Well, then why does, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. I don't grow without teachers. I always need a teacher. Have you? I, some of you aren't into sports, but I am, and so I keep watching these kids. I'll keep watching the NBA, and, and I'm the slow old short guy out there, but I watch them, and I, tr I keep practicing, and I can't get it right. They go in for a layup. Instead of just going up like I was taught, straight up, they do this, what they call the Euro step. So they step here, step here, and then they're up. I go up, and I try to step here, and I keep going straight. And I'm watching these kids. So finally, I asked one of the kids, how do you actually do this? I needed him to walk me through it. I still don't do it well because I'm not coordinated anymore. But we always need a teacher. 
especially if we're going to grow, if we're going to improve. One of the qualifications of an elder is to be able to teach. He doesn't have to have the gift of teaching. He has to be able to teach. So his presence gives us the gift of his assurance, the gift of his peace. Scripture tells us not to be anxious for anything, but I find myself anxious about everything at times. Even in preparation, I'm given this text. I said, now what do I do with it? And I get anxious about it. And I start going through my own mind, well, what is this text saying? How is it da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And then I said, you know what, Bob? You don't have to come up with anything. You need to go to the Lord and let him come up with everything. His presence. Verses 27 to 28 says, Peace I leave with, uh, excuse me, peace I leave with you. By peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. Fear is a terrible way to live. Jesus knows that. He says, he gives us his peace. And that peace is in the presence with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he reassures them, I'm coming back. It's not over, folks. Have you ever gotten up at the end of a movie in the movie house? I don't remember what movie movies it were, but uh, uh, they were at, at now. But uh, the end of the movie comes, and so all of a sudden, it looks like the uh, credits are starting to come down. And so I always want to sit through the credits anyway, just to see who's who, you know, uh, who acted what role and that kind of a stuff. And then on a couple of movies, they come back, and the movie's not over. 90% of the crowd is already gone. <laughs> the last... They, last, they, they lost, they did not see the last couple of minutes. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's not over, folks. I'm coming back. But in the meantime, you have a helper. There's a little song that says how he, how he leads his Holy Spirit. I would sing it if I could remember it, but then you might not want me to sing it, even if I did remember it, because you said, that's not the way it's supposed to be sung. It is to give us a quiet confidence. Why? Because God loves us. Why? He gives us his son. God loves us. How? Not only does he give us his son, he gives us his spirit. God loves us. Not only does he give us his son, and he gives us his spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts. Not for self. But for others. In fact. We declare his coming back. His return. 
It is part of the gospel message. And this is what the communion table is all about. Have you ever really experienced the power of the Spirit? I'm not talking about an ecstatic utterances. I'm talking about moving in your life to the point that it says, yes. And then what do you do about it? Let me close with this. I was a youth pastor. One of the first things I did was uh, they already had it scheduled, so I went, and it was a high school college retreat. And they had skit night on, talent show night. I'm the new kid on the block. And so I'm watching. And so the first is a song, the second is the piano thing or whatever. And then they got into these skits. And now they got guys walking out with balloons as breasts, making all sorts of sexual kind of movements. I was just about ready to stand up and stop one when they stopped themselves. It ended. So I said, okay, next. Second one was worse than the first. I stood up, and I said, no. This is not going to go on. I sensed the Spirit telling me this is not appropriate, and this isn't what we should be doing. So I told them to stop. I said, bring on the next one. The next one wouldn't come out. It was this overwhelming sense. The Spirit saying, we need not only to call them out, but we need to have them pray it out. My first event, a high school, college, retreat, of 200. I told my wife, turned around to her, and I said, we could have just lost the kids. But I said to myself, and I said to her, did I, han did I handle it right? And she confirmed. She's always my barometer on spiritual things. So I had to camp pray that whole night. I got chewed out by the senior pastor when we got back. I heard you did this! And I said, yeah, I did. 
Why didn't you let Mike handle it? Mike was uh, like the sponsor. I said because it's my job, not Mike. And I told one of the counselors, I said, I may have lost the youth group. He said, no, you didn't lose the youth group. You won the youth group. That was a victory. There was another time. At another retreat. And we just finished, we're finishing the service, and I'm up there to finish it, close it out. And I could hear as clear as day, give an altar call. What do I do with it? I didn't do anything about it. Have you been there? So my wife pulls me aside after the clothing and everything. She says, you know, that would have been great for an altar call. My high school director comes up to me and says, you know, Pastor, it would have been great for an altar call. They knew it too, and I bailed. The Holy Spirit is there to lead and to guide you, to teach you, and to bring you a hope that is in the gospel because Jesus is returning. When's the last time you had that kind of an experience? I know there have been churches where in, especially on Wednesday nights, uh, in the old days, we had some Monday night, uh, uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning was um, uh, when you found out how popular the church was, because it was always the biggest attendance, right? Sunday nights was to see how popular the preacher was. Wednesday night was to see how popular Jesus was. But we don't have these testimony times. What has God done in your life? And dear so-and-so would stand up and say, I thank Jesus Christ for saving my soul. He would say it every Wednesday. When's the last time? When's the last time? So when you come, you're declaring, his death, his resurrection, declaring his return, and in the meantime, he has left us his spirit. And you're in for the ride of your life because of the Holy Spirit. In Secretariat, there is the last scene where Secretariat is running the Belmont and he's running at this pace. And he is way ahead of the crowd. Still a record. And you could hear the trainer tell Ronnie Turcott, who's a jockey, say, hold on, don't fall off. Hold on. 
because the Holy Spirit will give you a ride. An exciting one. I've always told my wife, I said, you know, you could be married to this guy who lives in Orange County, was her first boyfriend and actually the one who wanted to marry her before me. I said, you could be living in Orange County for the last 50 years or so, comfortable and all that, because he was an engineer. She says, yeah, but we, we have been on the ride of our life. So as you come, are you ready for the ride of your life? That's what we're coming back to. So if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, not just say you mouth the words, but you know Jesus as your Savior, come. Come with your family. Come with your group. Come. And then uh, at this time, too, do I say that the children can be gathered? Yes. John gave me. All right.